This episode is brought to you ad-free by our friends at Care Credit and Pets Best Pet Health Insurance. Welcome, everybody, to the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I got a great one here today with the one and only Dr. Allison Lambert. Guys, uh, if you don't know Allison, you are in for a treat. I love my conversations with her. She is a dear, dear friend of mine, as you're going to hear us talk about. We go way back. We've had many adventures together. Um, she She's just fantastic. Uh, she is a veterinarian. Uh, she's a veterinarian in the United Kingdom. Uh, she runs a company and started a company called OnSwitch, which is an award-winning uh, customer experience company. So uh, she helps practices with their customer service that they deliver to uh, to pet owners and potential clients. And uh, and she's amazing. You guys should check out OnSwitch if you have not heard of it before. Anyway, uh, her experience with customer service has uh, interfaced her a lot with pet insurance. And so she has a uh, a lot of experience with with pet insurance uh, in the United Kingdom, and we talk all about it. As you'll hear, Allison has she has feelings, she has opinions, and she's willing to share them. And I am here for it. And so I hope you guys will be too. One thing I want to make super clear in this episode: uh, Allison is a veterinarian in the United Kingdom. She is not a veterinarian in the United States. Um, she's never been a veterinarian in the United States. And so when she talks about pet insurance, and we're talking about it, she is specifically talking about pet insurance in the UK, where market uptake is much higher than in the U.S. And this is why I want to talk to her, because my point in this episode is I, I want to understand what the future looks like. What does it look like if we get 25% of pet owners onto pet insurance? What, what is what is that? How does that work? How is that different from where we are now? And I'm really digging into this to say, you know, uh, pet insurance in the U.K. Has, has always had had much more traction than it has in the U.S., but we're moving in that direction. And pet insurance usage in the U.S. is, is climbing up. And so this is really me trying to peer into the crystal ball, talk to, to my friend who has seen a different reality of pet insurance than I have. And to start to draw some pictures about what pet insurance in the United States might look like in the future and, and what pitfalls there are and what uh, what wonderful benefits there could be. Guys, we uh, when we talk about pet insurance, we, we often think about health insurance and uh, the experience of physicians with health insurance in the United States has not been great. And, and, and I want us to I want us to think about what that looks like. And I want us to make good intentional choices as a profession, as doctors, as healthcare providers about how we interface with pet insurance. And so, guys, this is my intention with this episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I, I love this episode. I got a lot out of it. It is going to make you think. Um, I got to say real quick up front, uh, views expressed by our guests on the Uncharted podcast are their own and their appearance on the program doesn't imply any endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. I always got to say that, especially when we start talking about insurance, things like that. Um, gang, let's get into this episode. And now the Uncharted podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Allison Lambert, thanks for being here. Um, it's delightful to be here on a freezing it's, cold day in the UK. Oh, yeah. You know, this is uh, that we're having our annual meeting early. Generally, you and I have uh, have a cup of tea, uh, <laughs> a cup of tea. <laughs> in Orlando in, in January. And we're getting to talk a little bit earlier this year. So uh, this is brightening my day. Those cups of tea in Orlando are particularly dire, quite frankly, because I think the concept of tea requires a teapot, tea leaves, and some preparation and, and just some moments of reflective time. And that just, that isn't Orlando and tea. So there we go. But hey, it's good to see you. Yeah. And it's freezing. <laughs> it's, it's good to see you as well. For those people who don't know you, uh, you are a... You are, you are a business consultant based in the UK. Your company is called OnSwitch. Um, you do all, all sorts of things across the across the UK and Australia. You are sort of a multinational 
communication, consulting, marketing, strategy. I, I'm, a co- I'm an individual conglomerate, if there is such a thing, if that's not an oxymoron. We'll, yeah. We'll debate that one later. I, I met you years ago. I think, I said, there was a time that I was on Twitter and it was years ago. And I think you were the best thing that happened to me on Twitter. You and a couple other people were people that I met, I think, through Twitter. Wow. And then, and then we met in ago. person. And I know. I know. I, Twitter's a cesspool. Uh, but way back then. And then we met at, at VMX. And our friendship has rolled along through the years to the point that uh, pre-pandemic, I came to your house. Yes, this, ver- this very have, house you, here. This very your house is older than my country, correct? And um, and I came and I came there and visited with you and your husband Donald. And for people, for people who haven't been to Allison's house, which and there's there's some of you out there, um, it there is, are some that haven't. It is exactly. <laughs> it, it is what you imagine the traditional English house to be. It is is it is older than our country. It is beautiful stone, and we stayed there, and we went. We left and we walked through town past the stone uh, walls and houses to the pub. <laughs> to the pub. And we By walked Oakland in Kermel. and the whole town was there. <laughs> the town. Oh, the town. The village. <gasps> yes, you had too many you had you had too many beers that night, if I remember rightly. That's possible. It's it, possible. It's possible. Uh, it is it is exactly the pub experience that you that you're imagining. It was it oh. was magical. It was a it's a warm memory of mine. So thank you for that. But I also recall a time in Barcelona as well where it all went a little bit awry <laughs> without going into the, at the okay. top of that building and dinner. But we won't go there. I, okay, okay. <laughs> Let me just say that there's, there's, you see me when I'm doing international travel. Mm. And that's not representative of how I travel, how I am. You know, at the back, no. like that's a different, no. different thing. Different, different person. It's, it is basically a different person. Okay, let's <gasps> let's do. Here's what I want to talk to you. Let's changing the subject radically, really quickly. I want to talk to you about. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Before this goes any farther, what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh about. We're going to talk to you about pet insurance. Um, and the reason yeah. I want to talk to you about that is you and I have had a rolling conversation about pet insurance for years. And the reason is because you work in the UK and Australia. And the insurance culture, especially around pet insurance, is very, very different than it is here in the U.S. And so I think I want to go ahead and open up and provide some context to the, to the discussion I want to get into by saying to you, can you tell me sort of the story of pet insurance in the U.K. and what that's looked like over the last five to ten years? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important geopolitical positioning for pet insurance. We, we do need to just go, look, here's, here's a tiny little island, you know, the UK. Then there's Europe, which has Scandinavia, which has a very strong insurance culture. And then Australia's over there, you know, keep going, go right, go right, drop down a bit. 24 hours later, there's Australia. And yeah. we have different insurance approaches and different insurance penetrations. So the country that has nailed pet insurance historically is, is actually Sweden. You know, the, Nord- the Sc- Scandinavian Nordic bloc have a very high uptake of pet insurance because it came from a very collaborative relationship with uh, the kennel clubs where it was to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing by our pets. Therefore, we'll find a way of enabling, you know, interventional pet care to happen in a way that makes it affordable for everybody and sustainable as well. So, you know, you're looking at 70, 80 percent of pets insured in that block of Northern Europe. That's massive. That's the biggest in the world by miles. Then you come to the UK mm-hmm. and we did our own version. We didn't copy what was working in the in, in Northern Europe. We kind of did our own thing and it started with Pet Plan. 
um, as a as a group then um, when nobody did pet insurance. So somebody started, um, Patsy Bloom started it um, because she needed something for her own dog. So there was a historical heritage position, which you're familiar with, I'm sure. Um, and it became a very veterinary, introdu very introduced, you, you know, that the conversation was started at the vets and the vets saw it was a good thing for people. And that kind of evolved to where we now have at the last count, probably, I don't know, 350 insurance policies out there and, and you can get pet insurance from, you know, the, the supermarkets, the, the garage forecourts, through your own health insurance, your house insurance. It's, it's part of a, a multi-book play. So have your house insured, get your travel insurance, get your dog insured. It, it's part of everybody's insurance bucket. But there are still some pet insurance only players. Fewer of them, but they're still there. So now insurance is... Okay patients it's just it just is so we're you know allegedly somewhere between you know 30 35 percent of pets are insured in the uk but we'll come to that because who knows whether they are or they aren't we know that 3.7 million people bought insurance last year we know that that's the number of yeah. policy holders we know the number of policy holders but we don't know how many dogs there are in britain we don't know how many cats there are in britain so we're guessing you know, the pet percentage. But we know 3.7 million Got people it. do have a policy. That is an absolute, because that's, you know, the Association of British Insurers, that's public data. So we know that one. Our history, yeah. if you look at Australia, so, Australia are 5% insurance maximally. So they, they're in a very similar position to you guys. Um, it's not yet happened. Um, and they're catching up quite quickly as a newer generation of in-COVID pet ownership happened. The people who took pets out in COVID were younger, did their research and decided insurance was necessary. So we've we've had a spike of uptake. Um, so that's happening in Australia. It's happened here. It may well have happened in the US as well. Um, so insurance for us yeah. has become, was, it started as a, you know, interested, motivated people, the Cattle Club in Northern Europe, and then the vets in the UK embraced it because they saw the good in it. So that's the heritage position, I suppose. That's where we came from. Um, but we're small, remember? We've yeah. got, we can, one single veterinary organisation, one single, you know, group of people in Northern Europe that were like, you know, we are the vets of Sweden, we'll do it this way. We are the vets of Britain, we'll do it that way. So there, was, there, there wasn't the herding of cats with states and jurisdictions and boards. And so, you know, it's a smaller... It's a smaller group of people to influence. They're, they're influenceable because yeah. they go to one conference. There are multiple conferences. I think that's maybe why okay. we started differently, to be fair. But where we are now is is crazy. Okay, it was crazy. So, so hold on. So I'm looking at global pet insurance rates, and we're looking at 16.7% increase projected global uh, pet insurance rates for 2022 to 2030. And then I can say in the U.S., We've seen the number of pet insurance policies double in the last four years. It was up 28% in uh, 2021 over 2020. And so we're seeing really rapid growth. When you say things have, are, have gone crazy, is that what you mean? No, not particularly. We, we've had a 4% um, uptake in uh, on like numbers of policies and gone back up. Our policy... Um, numbers were dropping pre-COVID. You know, we, we the number of people with, we weren't doing this. We were kind of going, oh, we got to that point, but it spiked back up because of COVID. So 16% uplift in the UK would be an astonishing number. Um, and I would not okay. anticipate that that is the case. So um, how many policies is that then? So, I mean, percentages of, you know, it could be 100% of one or 100% on a million. Oh, yeah. How many, how many written policies are there in the US? 
I didn't, I didn't write that down. I don't know. I did. I was so proud of myself for doing research ahead of the podcast. And then you asked me a question. I'm like, you can see the depth of my research was, I was like, insurance policies are getting much more common. I'm learning. I'm learning. No, but the, but the reason why it's, oh, listeners really, I mean, I asked you, but the the, the thing about data or data, depending on how you say it, um, is, 3.7 3.7 million people have pet insurance in the UK. We're a population of 65 million. So the number is, is if that goes up by, you know, 20%, that's that's a, a big old chunk, you know. Um, is that likely? No. Is it likely to stabilise and go down? It's likely to go down. You know, we've got cost of living issues. People are seeing premiums go up and up and up and up versus the pay out. And they're going, I might as well just put the money in the bank. And self-insurance is now a thing. Um, so it, early stage growth is, you know, easy. You know, we had 10, you know, we had 100 policies last year. And now we've got 116 policies would be 16% growth. So it's, the numbers matter. The numbers matter. <laughs> <laughs> as yeah. Andy frantically Googles whilst talking to me. I <laughs> am. I'm frantically okay. Googling. I know. I can tell. I can tell. But the, the key to it, though, isn't, you know, it's going to get more because you've got so few. Uh, you know, you're going to be more, aren't you? The question is, is how you right. get more and what you do with more. And that's, you know, the, the bit that we've discussed over the years around the answer to the veterinary clients can't pay their bills is insurance is, is a falsehood. Because just because they've got insurance doesn't make your life easier as a clinic owner. It enables the patient to get the care. But with it, higher insurance, caseload brings other things. Like Okay, okay. All right, so, so I want to unpack this. So first of all, 3.9 million is the answer to how many policies are in the U.S. All right, so 3.9 million in 2022. That, but you have a much smaller company. Uh, you have a much smaller country, so there's a much higher, higher percentage. So penetration is a lot more. Okay, hold on. Yeah. So I, I want to approach this in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an organized way. I'm going way to write that down so really I remember that later. <laughs> I'll, I'll record it and you can listen back to it. Uh, there's a thing I do that Excellent. you can just let you hear it. Do you um, know, that's anyway. really you should do that for a living. <laughs> okay, let's unpack this in an organized way. So, so you, you guys have had much higher percentage of people, uh, pet owners with pet insurance for a, for a long time. Yes. Let's let's lay this down and just sort of think about it. What what's the what's the good part of this? So, Allison, help me help me see. I always like to start with the positive. What's the good part of having a higher percentage of pet owners insured uh, for practice? What what does that get me? When we look at this, if a pet is insured, and when we break it down, and we we don't have time and headspace to do it quite now, but for new puppies, new kittens, start of life there's a higher uptake of that insurance because it's, I want to do the right thing. So we start off on the right foot, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. if there's breed disposition. So, you know, I've got a Westie or I've got a Dachshund. Or, you know, the likelihood is there's going to be a thing I need to, you know, to look after at some stage. With insurance in place, it enables a relaxed approach to planable care from things like, you know, we need to do some investigations or some bloods, he's not well. So we take away the stressor of, can I afford it? Should I afford it? Can I talk about it? So the vet teams have different conversations. The owners also have different conversations. But what it doesn't do is 
directly mean that you as a veterinary practice can certainly say, well, you know, I'll charge more for everything or I will do more of everything than I used to do because I did I do good medicine now. So does insurance fundamentally change the fact that I do good medicine or not good medicine? The danger is, is that we start doing everything whether it's needed or not is a debate, but there's a more, there's a lot like, so where we would have maybe done an ultrasound and some imaging, we might now do a CT. So everybody wants CT when actually we didn't need CT last week, but now we do. It's, so there's a, there's a plethora of potential and the owners are going, hang on a minute, I've got this so I can afford care. Now you're spending all of this, I might still need to go to specialty. And I've got a limit of, you know, £5,000, $10,000, whatever it might be. And you've it's all gone. And the bit I wanted it for was the bit that I know I can't fund. I could have funded that. So people go, hang on. Right. This works when we are open about the insurance is there for that owner to be able to pay for the care that their pet needs. It's not the golden goose that's going to lay that golden egg for you as a practice owner to say, right, now I make money. That's not what necessarily has yeah. happened, but for some pockets, we've, it changes the dynamic of they're insured so it doesn't matter, we won't have the conversation. They're insured so we don't need to discuss this. They're insured so that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. The owner still needs to know what's happening. They still need to understand the rationale and they still need to understand that, do you know what? I've got insurance so I can choose to pay. I might not use my insurance. I might put it on a credit card this month because it might affect my access or my premium next year. So the very fact of being insured is there to help that patient get the care they need. It's not there to enable those folks who've maybe gone, we can charge more for stuff and do more stuff for this patient because it is insured. Whereas the dog in the kennel next door isn't yeah. insured, gets a different approach to the medicine. Still both fair medicine. But I think that's been this kind of subconscious belief system that for some, not all, but for some, that because they're insured, we don't need to have the open, transparent conversations. And that creates barriers. Yeah. And those barriers don't go oh. away, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know that it was subconscious, Alison. I mean, I, I remember years ago, pet insurance companies would say, hey, if you get your pet owners on pet insurance, then you can, basically, you can do what you want and you can practice the medicine that you want. And you could, and it was really kind of put forward as, um, I, I think I think the pet insurance kind of companies kind of put themselves in a hard space. I, I think early on, this is 10 years ago. Plus. And, and maybe that's and when we first like, having this conversation where I was watching this happening, saying, you do this, do this, and then you can do that. And it's like, no, mm, no, 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 it's an enabler of care. Yeah. It is not the solution to your practice finances. And that's when we first started, I think, debating the tonality. Yeah. Um, I've just said what I've said with reference to the UK, which is we are at this 25, mm. 30, 35% of pets are insured. And it's a stable number. It works. Could it be more? In some practices, it may be 50, 60, 70% because they say, look, if you're not insured, you can't afford to come here. We insist on it. Some practices have gone that route. Others have gone, we don't talk about it at all. They might be at, you know, 15% insured. Demography, regional variations, you know, there's all sorts of overlays on this. But insurance is there for that pet. For that pet, it's there for them to get what their owners wish to choose to do, whether they use insurance or not, it's a different question. And lots of people choose not to use it because of the fear of the premium change. Yeah, it, well, it's, this is why it's so interesting talking to you because you and I had sort of had these conversations early on and the messaging in the U.S. had been very much get your pet owners on pet insurance and then you'll be able to practice the medicine that you want. And now 
you're seeing increasing numbers in the U.S. pretty pretty substantially. The, the COVID pet owners, I, I think, and, and I've, I actually looked at kind of what's driving these numbers. Um, some of it is, is connection to the pet, human-animal bond, increased number of pets, um, people working at home, so they're more attuned to their pet and they're more concerned about things that happen to their pet. I, I think a big part of it is that employers now are really leaning into pet insurance as an employment perk. We're starting to see oh, some cool. of the offerings that you were talking about earlier of, hey, I can get this as part of my home insurance package or my car insurance package. And that visibility t- directly to pet owners just didn't exist in the past. And so now we're seeing, you know, the numbers yeah. are of, of policies going up. And, and it seems to me, and what I really want to talk to you about was, there's a time coming when the, when the pet insurance companies are going to, to start looking at their numbers and saying, we, this model of someone has pet insurance and we just pay for everything for, you know, forever at the, at the highest standard of care. Like that's just, it's just not going to fly. I, I just don't see how that, how that happens. And so when I talk to you and you say, no, in the UK, we have this high level of penetration and there, there are caps on, yeah. you know, on the amount that people can draw and when there are constraints we have to work inside of that fundamentally makes sense for me about how the system can work going forward. And so that, that's kind of what I wanted to to explore yeah. and hear more about from you. The sustainability, we have to talk about sustainability. Um, sustainability of the entire venue business model is a, a discussion for another day. But the sustainability yeah. of a pet insurance product that the pet owner purchases, then repurchases and recommends to their friends, has to do what it says on the tin. Get pet insurance. Don't worry about those big ticket items. You know, if your dog is hit by a car, if your dog is bitten by a snake, if your dog, you know, gets long-term condition, diabetes, whatever, it's relax. You can fund the care. It makes the, 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 the care possible and affordable. What it doesn't have to be is it pays for everything. It just makes the affordability piece work. It may cover all of it, but there'll always be an excess. There'll always be an element that isn't covered. There'll always be elements which are... Directed care is their way of making it sustainable. It's, there's only so much money in the pot, in, in, you know, but it's also got to be predictable. And the actuarial data is... We do. We pay out for a lot of very predictable things, you know, orthopedic procedures being one of them. If you want a certain hospital or a yeah. certain person, you fund the top up. And that's that's re- that's reality now. We've had that now for several years because we had to have, otherwise we would have literally killed the goose that laid the golden egg. You can't push. Right. And this is when we started having these like, oh, just the tonality here, this conversation, it's the saviour of the veterinary business model. No, it's the saviour of the patient who is hit with the car and the owner's going euthanasia or treat. Oh, I've got insurance. I can go ahead. But there's a cap and it has to be capped in places which are predictable and known up front. So my policy, which, you know, I've got a cat, chamois and a dog, Kato, five-year-old Labrador and a 12-year-old Tonkinese. I've got it for, I need a big thing, a big, big thing. And that is where insurance is just like home insurance or car insurance. Some stuff you claim on, some stuff you don't. If you claim on everything at a higher price point without capping, you kill the golden goose. And that was what I was yeah. hearing at conference, you know, and that's why we started talking. It's like, we've got to moderate this as a, it's a thing that helps an owner pay for patient care. And you as a practice can choose right. your pricing and your marketing and do what you want with it. But some people self-pay. Some people don't need insurance. Some people self-pay. It's fine. You know, we've got referral yeah. special, specialty centers that don't rely on insurance. And you know, we've got referral specialty centers who are entirely dependent on insurance. You've got to be careful. 
So as you look into your crystal ball, if you, you know, and, and we know how reliable crystal balls are these days, but as you Very look into your partly. crystal ball, it sounds like, <laughs> as you, it sounds like um, what you would sort of anticipate is most likely uh, probably more more caps uh, on on uh, on the amount that pet owners uh, pet insurance policies will cover, and then also it does make sense to me, as you say, of people not necessarily making claims, even though they have pet insurance when they come in for a lower cost, just saying uh, this is this is not where I'm going to. It makes sense that that um, that they would come in and uh, and choose possibly not to use pet insurance, even though they have it. And I don't know that that's something that that we've necessarily seen in the past, but it completely makes sense to me. Like I go back to human human medicine, and you say, well, you know, we 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 uh, I expect that there are caps, and we have deductibles, and we have limits to meet, and things like that. And and that 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 answers some of my questions about how this is sustainable going forward. Sustainability is a, is is really important, and. If you're at the beginning of a rapid growth, you know, if you're getting 16% year on year on year on year, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's a big market and you're starting from a low base. It's just make sure that the messaging is around for this to not hit unaffordable premiums because we've put pricing to the point where actually the premiums are now outside of the reach of the typical pet owner and actually pushes the wealthier, more self-paying pet owner to go, I don't mind bothering because it's going to be a, per- a yeah. percentage of the population that never take pet insurance because affordability, cash flow, life is it's not their thing for lots of different socioeconomic reasons. Is it's got to be it's got to be sustainable from the get go so that we just go. There will have to be management of what is in and what is not in, and the behaviours within it. Um, just like human healthcare, you know, if your dog is. Do you anticipate the customer service conflicts with pet insurance companies kind of increasing as, yeah. as we move forward? I mean, do you see more people kind of butting heads with the policies? You know, there's a broad church, isn't there? There's a broad church of of insurance policies. And within that broad church of insurance policies that we have, you've got fewer, but you'll get more and more. Within that broad church, there's the good, there's the bad, and there's the ugly, you know. They always pay mm-hmm. up. They're fair. These guys pay up most of the time. We might ask a few questions, but they're reasonable. And quite frankly, please don't use them. But we can't say that because we yeah. can't we can't direct them to not use. But when you broaden the church to 350, 400 policies available online and via you know insurance websites, you know like any you know money supermarket or you buy any car dot com type you know the, the stuff then the default mechanism i'm paying i don't know i'm paying 400 dollars a year for insurance great guess what you've got like nothing you just have got what you paid for which is fresh air and they're not going to pay up they'll yeah. take your premium but they certainly ain't they're going to challenge everything if, if you were so okay so given given where we are right now and the market is growing and we're still early on if you were queen of american veterinary medicine and had the power to sort of influence the doctor side the practice side um how would you do it differently what 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 would you like to see with your magical fairy godmother powers what what would you try to will to happen so that we ultimately ended up with the best system possible my big bugbear with insurance at the moment um and I'm going to answer that question by going round the house to come back to answer that question. If I'm a pet owner, if we start with... Exactly. But we've got to start with a pet owner, you know, just a typical person who's nothing to do with the veterinary profession, but has just got a puppy. 
They want to do the right thing. Their motivation is to do the right thing. I want to give them the best start. I want to do all the right things. It's my first dog. And they will find they need pet insurance. So they'll take it out. They're taking it out so that they're able to fund care as and when it may pop up unexpectedly. That's, that's kind of their motivation is to have this thing. Then something horrific happens and there's a, I don't know, say there's a, a $10,000 bill. At the point where they now have a $10,000 bill, there's two ways this can go. One is they have to pay the $10,000 and then claim it back. Or the insurance company pay the practice direct. Now, both of those ways are possible here. Direct claim is the practice is paid by the insurance company. Or the owner pays and then there's a claim and the owner gets the money back. Both of those ways are currently possible. I don't pay my hospital for my human health care. I don't lay out the money. I don't pay a 10,000 bill to have my gallbladder out. My insurance company deals with it because I'm pre-authorized. I am pre-authorized at the point of need. So I go, I, I could have it done for free in the NHS, by the way. You know, we have a brilliant healthcare system here where everybody can, if hit by a truck, be seen at no charge. But I chose to go to a particular surgeon who's done gallbladders all his life and does them with his eyes closed because I'm just a control freak when it comes to my gallbladder removal. Anyway, it's gone now. I don't need a gallbladder. Who needs... Who knew you needed a gallbladder for anything, really? Um, so yeah. I didn't okay. pay. I didn't we've pay dri- my. We've drifted off. Let's come back. Yeah, no, I, I didn't pay my surgeon. My insurance company paid my hospital. I was pre-authorized. For me, as queen of, let's make this better than wherever it is anywhere else in the world, is there has to be a pre-authorization step that means that that pet owner is not compromised because they haven't got ten thousand dollars. That's why they took out insurance. They haven't got it. They can't put it on a card because okay. they haven't got that headspace on their credit card. So they need to be pre-authorized as this pet is valid, this owner is valid, and they have a claim capability given what you, the doctor, has just told us you need to do. We are going to pre-authorize $9,500 to be paid to you so they don't have to pay. So pre-authorization, clarity of going into the procedure, this is this pet, this is this patient, this is the cover, this is what they're covered for, this is what will be covered. I pre-authorize you to do this procedure and we will cover $9,500. That's $500 to pay from the owner and that is taken prior to procedure. That would be my fairy godmother wish list is that policies are that sophisticated and they're not currently um, in the main. The second thing I would like is for our profession on a broader perspective, to understand the insurance is for the patient outcome and for the owner's peace of mind, and that we don't need to see it as a golden goose. And when we have business seminars, and you, you know we've sat in the room, you've been speaking, I've been going, no, in the back, and you've spotted me going, oh, she's not happy. <laughs> she, she's not happy. I can tell she's not happy. Is We mustn't yeah, project. You have a face that you make when you're not I, happy. I, or maybe it's just when I talk. Yeah, you have you, you have this sometimes as well. Um, is we we we're projecting that the insured pet spends three times more than the non-insured pet. Yeah, well, it probably does because it's presented for the things that might not have been presented for and goes ahead with a thing that it would have said no to. So yes, that's inevitable. Um, in the same way, you know, a, a wellness plan patient, you know, you see them one time more than a non-wellness plan patient, and an insured wellness plan patient is going to be the peak of the the revenue generating pet. Yes, that's true. That's factual. But there are patients without insurance. There are patients without wellness plans, and they should be in the same care principle as the ones who are insured. It shouldn't not be offered to them just because they haven't got insurance. It shouldn't not be the care pathway because they're not insured. And that you've got to be really careful. You don't slip into because they're insured, we do it this way. And because they're not insured, we do it that way. 
We don't talk about this. We don't offer this. We don't do that. We don't do those pre-oblates. We don't do that thing. We don't do that pain med. But they're insured, so we do everything. It's like, well, hang on a minute. What about Bobby? Yeah. Bobby's mum and dad are quite happy to pay for what you've just done, but you never offered it. And I think we need to just be upfront about that because we've drifted where there is a differential. And it's not, mostly it's not deliberate. Sometimes it is. And when you ask the question, are you insured? The owners go, well, does it make a difference? Well, no. Well, why did you ask me? It's like, "Mm, so why did you ask them? Oh, they're insured. We better do that then. It's like, oh, just just that behavioural science piece. Pet is insured. Oh, that's a relief. So yeah, it's a relief for the pet. It's a relief for that pet. Yeah. So the, the care plan, yeah. the diagnostic pathways shouldn't be different because they're insured. The owner saying yes to them yeah. might be higher. And that's the, I think that's the finessing of this, which may not come across in a podcast, I don't know, but I think it's a workshop to just to, our language. So on your classic, what does this mean in reality, reality, Alison? In reality, look at your consent form. On the consent form, there will be a question, you know, dog, cat, name, age, blah, owner, blah, blah. Then there'll be one which says, is this pet insured? There'll be a question about insurance. The moment we say, is this pet insured? the owner hears a different set of meanings to what we're actually asking. We're asking, you know, is who is Bobby insured with? Who do we need to talk to? So change the question. Who is Bobby insured with? Oh, he's with, you know, XYZ company. Is he insured? Mm-hmm. Does it make a difference? It's an antagonistic question. And there's some subtleties in there. Very subtle, very, very subtle. As soon yeah. as you change it to who is Bobby insured with? Oh, he's not insured. Oh, we recommend it. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay, great. We've moved on. It, yeah, it's so subtle. Um, so I think a whole pre-authorization is essential, and a whole team understanding of insurance is good for the pet because the pet gets the option to have treatment. It, you know, the benefit to our clinic is that we all do good medicine, and because owners will say yes to treatment plans, it doesn't mean we don't do good medicine for ones who aren't insured, and that needs to be nailed front and center because yeah. otherwise it slips into a two-tier system. Yeah, and, I, I like this a lot. This is so. The, the parts for me going away from this, I, I think, um, I think, I think, I think sitting a little bit and considering the ethics of, of approaching cases wildly different based on the person's ability to pay, whether it's because they have insurance or because they just have a lot of money. And somehow I know that I, I, I think that I think that we can all sort of see the moral quandary of that and saying, well, I offered it to these people, but I didn't offer it to these other people because they didn't have insurance or because I didn't think that they'd be able to pay for it. I, I think that that's fertile ground for, for um, you know, for, for just sort of thinking on, on, on ethics and morality and, and what we want medicine to be and how we, want to, how we sort of want to treat people. And the other thing that I'm going to take away a lot from this, I think, is the sustainability part. Of, oh, um, yeah, as I, as I look at it, well, the cost of care keeps going up. And I, I talk a lot about this, and I'm really focused on keeping care affordable and how do pet owners continue to have pets that are well taken care of if prices sort of keep going up. And I'm, I'm just a, a, a real pragmatist. And the idea that like, oh, get them pet insurance and then prices can go up as high as they want and nothing is going and everything will get paid for. I go, Hi, that's not how the world works in my experience. And like, that's kind of the too good to be true feeling where I go, I don't see how the, how the yeah. insurance company, it's not going to work for them. And I just, just looking at it. So I, I've taken a lot away from our conversation today in that regard. I think the claim rate is something as well. I mean, in the good old battle days in my, um, when I was employed rather than being a business owner, I did actually work for the Miles organization um, as, a, as a non-vet as well as a vet, but as a non-vet. And at one point I was responsible for the, um, the insurance policy that Mars had in the UK, which was with the UK Kennel Club. Um, and the claim rate is when people have pet insurance, most people pay, they have a claim. You know, most people with house insurance don't have a claim. 
Most people with car insurance don't have a claim. It's, it's a rarity to claim on your car or your home or your travel. Whereas you've got pet insurance, it's like, whoa, I'm going to make a claim. I want to get my money back. <laughs> that's, that's not insurance. Insurance is for those moments where you can't self-fund or you're in a position where you couldn't go ahead, but the insurance enables you, that patient to get the outcome. And we've got a really peculiar mindset around pet insurance, which we need to be mindful that we, the profession, are not part of creating. And I think that's where the UK got it not right, whereas Sweden got it more right, and Australia is getting it more right. Um, the, the way they have their gap payment, um, which is, again, a paid-for healthcare system. Australia is a really good model to actually look at because it's a paid-for healthcare system with some um, social healthcare in the human sense. So people are used to paying for some stuff and getting some stuff through Medicare. Um, whereas the UK, we don't pay for human healthcare in the main. So we're not used to paying for vets bills, but you guys are, and so are Australia. So the arguments all fall over when you start having that conversation. I, one, one thing just on, on the kind of pet insurance thing, when we look at where this goes longer term and when you see pet insurance rates going up, you start seeing people having things put in front of them. And then you start building specialty and referral centers that do that thing. You know, you suddenly find referral specialty caseload starts moving. And so what you, you, you will find is there's a mirror to, as more and more pets are insured, there may be more and more, you know, tertiary level involvement and maybe more kit and equipment involved. So there's more suddenly CT is needed and suddenly we need to do lots of scoping and there's lots more magic things can happen. So there's more kits and equipment. And there's a lot of people benefit from pet insurance other than the pet. And I think that's my perspective is the person who needs this pet insurance is that dog or cat. Actually, the fact you now have a CT and the CT companies have sold a lot of them or there's now several, you know, multidisciplinary or single disciplinary referral centers doing quite nicely because they're doing lots of simple ops, lots of them day in, day out, like my gallbladder surgeon. There's a point where everyone's done very nicely out of pet insurance, but the person who's putting the money in the pot in the first place, the pet owner, has to have a sustainable, sustainable premium versus the claim rate versus the cost of what they're claiming. And when they say, I don't fancy it anymore, that bucket starts going down. And that's where we were pre-COVID, COVID resurrected insurance, it'll go back down again. You can't keep pushing and pushing this goose. There's only so many eggs it can lay um, and we've got to be careful. A lot of people have done very, very well out of pet insurance outside of the profession. You know, the, the manufacturers of magic equipment and centres and stuff. So it's a philosophical conversation, I know. But pet insurance is a good yeah. thing if it's sustainable for the pet owner. It's got to be sustainable for the pet owner. I, I, th I really like that. I think that that... That's that fits with my worldview that feels that feels right it's a good I, i've always believed it's a good thing it is a good thing as long as it's uh tended and maintained and and kept and kept in order and make sure that it, that it works I, it's got to work for everybody allison lambert you are amazing where can people read more of your writing where can they find you online oh excellent if they're mad enough to think they want to do more of this and that's great um if you go to the web on switch.co.uk on switch as in on there is no off switch that's why we're called on switch um onswitch.co.uk um best place to start the web um social channels but quite frankly i'm a little bit like that exclusive thing that you know if you really want to find us you'll find us but if you won't don't you won't happen to cross us because we only want certain people we only like certain people so if you find us we'll probably like you i'll put i'll put links to on switch in the show notes guys 
Take care of yourselves. Alice, thanks so much for being here. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Take care, folks. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, as always, the best thing you could do if you did was leave us an honest review wherever you get your podcast or share, share the episode with your friends. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you soon. <laughs>